Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Corey Gardner. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 110. I'm, of course, Josh Burton, and joining me yet again are a pair of my teammates, Peyton Burton, Phil Dexter. What is up, fellas? Listen, I'll tell you what, let me go ahead and start this off right now. For one, I'm having a good day. Even though today's Sunday's drawn out like a long, long, long day, it's still been good. But I'll tell you what, I listened to the last episode we did with us four, you know, Josh, myself, Corey, and Phil, and I reported you guys to HR for bullying me because <laughs> all three of you motherfuckers attacked me and my Louisville Cardinals for what reason, I don't know. We weren't even talking about Louisville at the time, I don't think. We, if we were, we were talking about them briefly because they sucked last year. But yeah, I reported you guys to HR and they got back to me and said, this will be your guys' last show. So I'd like to wish you guys the best in your future endeavors. So I'm the new owner of ECB. I'm the new owner of Everything College Basketball Podcast and Facebook group. Therefore, it's time to rebrand this show. After today, it's no longer going to be Everything College Basketball. I got my Louisville podcast called Inside the Yum. So it's time to rebrand this podcast to do with myself, Josh's, and Phil's new wrestling promotion we're starting. It's going to be called Inside the Cum. With Peyton Burton. <laughs> Bill, where did where that come from? Well, I don't know who emailed Peyton back because the bad news for him is I was hired as the HR rep for yeah. ECB. <laughs> and my fuck. response to his complaint was to go fuck himself. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and <That> was- and <laughs> related to our, our wrestling federation, that will be the main event on the next pay-per-view is Peyton <laughs> fucking himself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are off and running today. I hope everybody's ready for that. <laughs> I hope everybody's ready for an exciting off-season episode 110. Uh, man, that caught me off guard because I was about to open and tell everybody what we're here for today, but now I'm just thinking about that. <laughs> Oh, man, we've got things I've to talk about. I've been sitting on that one for a <laughs> while now, trust me. We've got things to talk about. Peyton, there'll be plenty of time to honestly, seriously talk about your Louisville Cardinals, continue to build momentum, um, lots going on. Kentucky looks like they're finally starting to try to take back some of that momentum. Um, Robert Dillingham did commit like we all assumed. Uh, real quick before we get into the topic at hand today, Phil, I know you know, you know, Dillingham is right there from where your neck of the woods are. I hear comparisons of a mixture between Allen Iverson and Kyrie Irving. When you watch Robert Dillingham, what do you see out of him and what will John Calipari get for next year? Um, I think Kyrie Irving's a pretty good comparison. I'm not going to compare any, anybody to Iverson. You know, that's just, that's very lofty expectations, but he's definitely a score first, uh, you know, kind of combo guard can play on the ball, can definitely play off the ball. Um, great athlete, but He'll be he'll be a good fit if they have somebody else who can really run the offense and get everybody else involved and just allow him to do his thing, which is just straight up score the rock. Yeah, I heard he's uh, by obviously number one point guard. I've heard he's a really good scorer, so that's exciting. That Cal's already early offering and getting big time prospects again. So we'll see if Calipari is 
motivated again. I hate using that word for him because he should always be motivated, but we'll see. And real quick, Peyton, on your Louisville Cardinals, obviously a ton of momentum in the program. Uh, just got Master P's son in transferring. We'll see if he plays at all, but it's a big-time NIL deal. But there is reports coming out that if you believe the reports to be true, that DJ Wagner to Louisville is essentially a done deal, although Kyle Tucker that covers Kentucky disputes that. Cal's flying out to Spain here soon to go watch DJ. who's actually in Philadelphia today to watch him. But, I mean, you're hearing that it's a done deal from some big-time people. I'm sure that makes you excited. I was going to save this for the end of the show, but I'll go ahead and do it now since we're talking about DJ Wagner and Dillingham. With Dillingham committing to Kentucky like everyone else expected, um, big, big, big get for Coach Cal and, and Kentucky next year. He's a fantastic point guard. Like Phil said, he's a score first. You'll be able to get buckets for Kentucky. No question about that. But this does open up for a debate. Is the DJ Wagner recruitment over? And I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a while since Mr. Recruiter has gave a crystal ball prediction. Matter of fact, it's been too damn long since I gave any sort of crystal ball prediction for any type of player on the Facebook group, especially on this podcast. So it's time to do a crystal ball prediction. Let's pin in, and I know I'm probably, obviously I'm really late on this. Don't care because I wanted to be patient and made sure I was 100% sure about this decision. DJ Wagner a.k.a. Dewan Wagner Jr., a.k.a. the son of Dewan Wagner, a.k.a. the grandson of Milt Wagner, he will be attending the University of Louisville next season. That is my crystal ball prediction. I am 100% confident that his recruitment is over with. And I did not expect it because people are thinking that he's going to commit sometime probably within the next month or two. I thought he'd maybe wait until you know late November or before the season started. But if he does commit now, I think it's actually probably a better move for him to do it now. That way he get all the expectations of a commitment. That way he can just enjoy his senior year. And like Dillingham did, like Mataz Brazilis did when he committed to the G League, all these guys, Bradshaw's going to be committing here soon as well. He posted on his Instagram that there'll be soon to be a commitment for him. So that's my crystal ball prediction. Like it or not, Josh, it's going to happen. DJ Wagner will be a Louisville player. And that's the bottom line because Mr. Kruda said so. Well, I mean, that remains to be seen. It surely looks like that. We'll cover, obviously, more of the DJ Wagner situation as we progress throughout the summer and into the season. But let's get to the topic at hand today. We're just going to do a quick hit. The NBA draft was this last Thursday evening. Um Let's just focus on the main college players. Obviously, most of the draft is the former college players. We discussed this last year in great detail, but let's get to it. Somewhat of a shock, but not really a shock. Uh, Phil, I know you with your wonderful draft uh, expertise and your podcast, The Fast Risers Pod, you've been covering this throughout the whole draft cycle. You mentioned to me that the day of the draft that late money had came in on Paolo Bancaro going number one when for long assumed for months now to be Jabari Smith of Auburn and lo and behold with the number one pick in the NBA draft for 2022 the Orlando Magic took Paolo Bancaro I really don't think between those three the top three that went was Bancaro, Chet Holmgren, and Jabari Smith I don't think you could go wrong 
However, that late money, something happened. Can you explain to us what made the Magic all of a sudden late decide to take Paolo over Jabari? Well, I mean, my best guess, obviously, is that they were locked in on Paolo all along and it leaked out to somebody at the last second. But it was very interesting. The night before the draft, it was about midnight or 1 a.m., all the money started coming in on Paolo. He was plus 800. The money shifted and he ended up being favored. But then in the morning, money came back in on Jabari Smith, became a big favorite again. And then again, right before the draft, swung back to Paolo. So like I said, my best guess is that the Magic were locked in on him all along. They were kind of using Jabari Smith as a smoke screen to see if maybe anybody would make them a grandfather offer or a grandfather, a godfather offer for that number one pick. Um, and then it leaked out. And, and so some of the money started coming in on Bankero. Well, we talked all year. Like, these top three is essentially locked, I feel like, from at least December, especially January on, whether it's Van Carroll, Holmgren, or Jabari Smith. This is a very deep draft class, in my opinion. I think we all agreed to that throughout the season. Having watched Van Carroll, Holmgren, and Jabari Smith, two of the three, I think, for sure have NBA-ready talent skill sets, and that's Van Carroll and Jabari Smith. Van Caro goes number one to the Magic. Jabari fell to three to go to the Rockets. I think both of them are going to make immediate impact. The guy that is the wild card in this situation that we've talked about, they nicknamed him the Unicorn. We watched him at Gonzaga this year block shots, hit threes, run the floor. We know his skill set, but the concerns have still been there with Chet Holmgren. He goes two to the Thunder. He is that guy where if he pans out, he's a perennial all-star for the next 10 seasons. He is that type seven foot. He's perfect for the NBA, but we all are concerned his physicality. Both of you, now that it's official, he does go two to the Thunder. What do you expect out of Chet Holmgren after we've seen a fantastic freshman year from him at uh, Gonzaga? I think the Thunder was the perfect situation for him to go to because the way their organization is run and just the – expectations of their fan base he's going to get a chance to grow into being the player he's going to be you know you sort of mentioned Boncaro and Jabari Smith will both step in and be productive players right away and I'm not sure Holmgren is going to be that guy I mean I think he can come in and have an impact defensively but he's probably a year or two away offensively from you know reaching his ceiling or anything close to it but in Oklahoma City he's going to get that time to develop and grow so I don't think there could have been a better fit for him to be honest so Phil does well, – he pays attention more to, like, the draft and, like, the NBA a lot more than I do. You know, when I was young, I used to pay attention to a lot of NBA, uh, especially when Kobe Bryant played for the Lakers. Big Kobe fan. But ever since he retired, I stopped fully watching. But my thing on this – and you can call me wrong or we can debate about this anytime you want. I don't care. Um and I kind of posted it under Josh's comment, under Josh's post about the late NBA draft predictions a couple of days ago. It doesn't surprise me that Punkara went number one, but if you're asking me to list the top three from who I think will have the better NBA career, I would pitch Jabari Smith number one, Holgum two, Punkara three. I just don't think. Bunkeo's game translates well to the NBA type of style of play. He's, I don't think there's a lot of things he does great. I think there's a lot of things he does good, but he's not the greatest three-point shooter. 
He's not the greatest rebounder. He's not the greatest defender. He's definitely a good driver, but I wouldn't say he's the greatest driver going towards the rim and finishing out the rim. And the only issue about Chuck Hogan that people have issues about is he's he looks like a twig. He's not strong, but he's like seven foot. He has handles of a guard. I think his game translates way better than it does for Paula Ben Carroll. But I do think Ben Carroll will have a long NBA career. Will you be an all-star, a putting all-star? Well, that's well, that's an answer that will have to be. Well, that's a question we'll have to have later on in his career. But I think if you ask me to rank him, I think Bacaro is at third on my list. Can we talk about real quickly the most, in my opinion, in the especially in the lottery, the most surprising pick? I don't know if that's fair, but we watched this kid develop, you know, from an eight-point scorer game to last season taking over for Iowa, a team that won the Big Ten tournament. And that's Keegan Murray went four to the Kings. Don't get me wrong. He's got a good NBA body, shoots a three at an incredibly high clip. But to me, I do not see him as that the most athletic type player for the NBA style. Now, could he just be a spot-up shooter, a guy that can get you a, a big-time three? Absolutely. I think that's what he's there for. But if you put him in Sacramento with a guy like De'Aaron Fox that wants to get up and run and the way the pace of the play is, I feel like the Kings reached here, especially when number five, they could have got Jaden Ivey. I think Jaden Ivey might be the best out of the whole first round and maybe this whole draft. I think Jaden Ivey could be end up being the best player in this draft based on wait, his skill set. Um, wait. You're, real quick, I, I know you're, I'll get to you, Phil. I, I'm Real quick on Keegan Murray. Do you guys feel like that was a reach by the Kings? Well, yeah, no, I was just going to piggyback off of what you said. And I think Keegan Murray is going to have a really good NBA career. I just think the Kings probably could have got him a spot or two lower and everybody in this draft wanted Jaden Ivey. So there's no way they couldn't have found a trade partner at four to e- to move down a spot or two. And even if you just move down a spot with Detroit and get, you know, a future first round pick or something, it's better than what they did. Um, I just think Ivy is a much better player. And I, I don't mean, I feel terrible because it sounds like a knock on Murray. And I do think he's going to be a really great NBA player. It's just with Ivy still on the board, that was a terrible pick. Yes. I'm going to triple down on that. I think Ivy should have went ahead of him. And I think Benedict Mathurin should have went ahead of him as well. I take both of those guys over Keegan Murray. Well, let's go to that pick number five real quick. Jaden Ivy did fall to five to Detroit. I'm telling you right now, it's may, it probably won't be next year, but in the next few years, that backcourt of Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey are going to be electrifying in Detroit. I can see Detroit, like I said, not probably not this year, but man, in the next few years, Detroit's back in the playoffs, in my opinion. What a crazy backcourt that's going to make. Well, and then you throw Jalen Duran in the mix too, who they ended up getting at 13 and a three-team, you know, roundabout deal. But yeah, they have a ton of potential. I mean, I think... Cunningham and Ivy could be the best backcourt in Eastern Conference within, you know, two or three years. And then you throw in Duran, who's just a super athlete. You got Sadiq Bay on the wing. You know, Detroit, like you said, I think they're probably a year or two away from making the playoffs, but they're probably, you know, a title contender three or four years from now. Completely agree. Yeah. An explosive, fun, youthful backcourt. Good for Jaden Ivy. Like I said, we've raved on this kid. All year long, um, last night preparation for this, I went back and watched the Purdue-Indiana game, the game that Indiana broke the streak and beat them. But that second half, Jaden Ivey took over and damn near, <laughs> damn near beat Indiana by himself. I mean, electric. 
Pick number six, and I want to talk a bit real quick about the our hometown Pacers as a whole. They draft Benedict Matherin. Um, there were some talks that Shaden Sharp was there. There's actually some talks that Pacers might even trade up with the Kings to be able to take Jaden Ivey. But I think the Pacers as a whole, taking Benedict Matherin in the first round and also in that second round getting um, his name just like, oh, um, Andrew Nimhard. Thank you. Could not, could not think for my life. Andrew Nimhard. And they also snag uh, from Baylor. Why can I not think of his name right now, guys? Help me out here. Um, was it Akinja? No. 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 I cannot. Kendall Brown. Kendall Brown. Kendall Brown. Yeah, there thank you. you. Via trade. Pacers get those three players, extremely talented players. Two guys held the backcourt. Kendall Brown, we know what kind of player he was at Baylor. Could go, he's basically a two-way player, could go score, and especially on the defensive side. I think the Pacers get a really high draft grade here, especially Benedict Matherin. I think the people in Indiana are going to love him because he's going to give everything he has. We've seen in Arizona this last season. He's going to be able to score the basketball, but more importantly, he's going to be able to defend the basketball. I think the Pacers won out in this draft. Yeah, I think they did well, especially getting Nimhard, but especially getting um, fuck Benedict. What, thank you, my God. I see his name right in front of me, and I still forgot it. So yeah, but the thing is, and Pacers fans should love him because I don't know if you guys heard what he said about LeBron and about how he thinks nobody's better than him. And of course, a bunch of people on Instagram was making fun of him. Was like, just wait till you play LeBron; he's going to drop forty on you. And I'm like, he might. But I love the confidence. Same with Chet Hogan when he said that he don't like, wait in a couple months and he'll be the best player in the league. He that's a big that's a bold statement to say. But guess what? These guys don't shy away from confidence. I think Benedict Matherin's a star in the making. He's going to do great things in Indiana. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I was not very high on Benedict Matherin, you know, coming into the season or even at the end of the season, kind of coming into the draft process. But for me, after I watched, you know, just more and more film of him. He ended up being one of my favorite guys. Like Peyton said, I just think he's a stud in the making. You see that mentality in his, you know, in his play. He doesn't back down from anybody. He dunks on motherfuckers on the fast break. You know, he catches backdoor alley-oops. He's never afraid to shoot the rock. I just think Matherin is destined to be, you know, a 25-point-a-game scorer in this league. And I think the Pacers, too, adding Benedict and Nimhard, they've got a pretty youthful electric backcourt themselves. Um, it'll be curious to see what they do moving forward. I still think some of these guys might get traded away, but as far as like the, the youthful backcourt, Pacers could be building something special. Moving down one other pick, pick number seven of the Blazers, talking about a lightning rod here. They do take a chance on Shaden Sharp. He goes seventh. We've talked in the last episode about the controversy with Sharp, so we're not going to revisit that. But talent-wise, we admit it, he probably is a future NBA all-star. He goes and plays with a perennial all-star in Dalla Dame. Could be a fun little backcourt there in Portland. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I still think keep an eye on this one for a trade. I think that Portland, you know, is in win-now mode, especially, you know, Dame coming off an injury has probably only got a year or two left in his prime. It would not surprise me at all to see the Blazers use Shaden as a huge chip to try to bring in a second star to pair with Dame. Phil, we'll go down to your neck of the woods again. You covered Duke a lot this year, writing for Duke Insider. Back-to-back uh, -back picks, 15 and 16. 15 to the Hornets was Mark Williams, and 16 to the Hawks was A.J. Griffin. Teammates last year at Duke, 
now there'll be division rivals. Um, thoughts on Mark Williams staying in North Carolina to play for the Hornets and A.J. Griffin going to the Hawks as another shooter to pair up with Trey Young? I think Mark Williams to the Hornets is a great fit. I've had him mocked there for, you know, all three of my mock drafts. I had him going there 13. Uh, I was a little worried that MJ may not be willing to take a Duke guy, but the Hornets need an absolute, you know, rim protector, rim runner type guy. And then, you know, AJ Griffin, I think everybody was maybe a little surprised to see him slip to 16 to Atlanta, but I know there are some concerns over his medicals, those knee injuries and whether that athleticism will come back. At the very least, A.J. Griffin's going to be a fantastic shooter in the NBA. we all seen that this past season. And if his athleticism comes back, you know, he could really be a good second option for uh, Trey Young. Peyton, a couple of your Kansas boys goes in the first round to pick number 14 to Cleveland. You got Oche Abaji, the defending national champion, as well as his teammate Christian Braun goes 21 to the Nuggets. Thoughts on the, the defending national champion pair going in the first round? I think Obaji hit the jackpot of going to Cleveland. I think that's a, like Phil said in our little group chat here. I think that's the perfect fit for him. And it's funny because he went pick number 14. 14 is my favorite number. So there you go again. So congratulations to him. He had an awesome career at Kansas, went capping off winning a national title. And Christian Brown, Denver's getting a dog in Christian Brown. Dude, he'll play on both ends, hit shots. He'll dunk on a motherfucker, kind of like Phil said with Benedict Mathen. He's that type of dog as well. And he's a good defender. He's a good wing defender as well. So I think both teams getting those two types of players, I think they did a good job. We all yep. admitted throughout the year that the SEC was probably the best conference in basketball. And I think the Houston Rockets took our advice to heart because they had three first round picks. We talked about Jabari Smith from Auburn going number three to the Rockets. Number 17, the Rockets drafted Tari Eason, an incredible defender from LSU. And then late in the first round as well at pick number, uh, where did, where was it? Uh, pick number 29 via trade from the Memphis Grizzlies. They pick up Kentucky guard, Ty Ty Washington. To me, that's a great pickup, all three of them, because you get the explosivity and a future all-star in Jabari Smith. You get a great on-ball defender with his versatility at Tari Eason, not only on-ball, but off-ball. He can read passing lanes really well. And then you get a guard. He may not, he may not be their starting guard right away, but you bring it off a scoring guard who can control the offense and Ty Ty Washington. The Houston Rockets go all SEC in the first round, and I think they're a big winners in this draft as well. Absolutely. I love Tari Eason. Uh, it's very high praise and I'm not sure he'll get there offensively, but I see a lot of Kawhi Leonard in his game defensively, just a pest, just constantly pressuring you. His hands are huge. If you watch guys get by him, he just rips the ball away from dudes. Um, his jump shot is a little bit broken, so that's kind of weird. I'm not sure if that translates, but he's going to be a fantastic fucking defender in the NBA. Yeah, I do. I agree as well. Real quick, um, sleeper of the draft. Who you guys got? I think I know Phil's, but I'll still I, give it I, to him. I know mine, and I think mine and yours are the same. I, oh, is it, oh, it might be. Well, I'm, Phil, going, I, I'm going to the defending NBA champions at pick number 28. Yeah, I second this. The Golden State Warriors pick up Patrick Baldwin Jr. Now, on the surface, Patrick Baldwin Jr. at Milwaukee this year. Injury riddles, did not play on a good team. But this is still the kid at one point was the number one player in his class that was slotted to go to Duke. He's 6'10 himself. He's just like the mold of Paolo and other guys we've mentioned. If his talent and he stays healthy, that is a 
low-risk, high-reward draft pick for the defending champion, the Warriors, and gives them another piece, especially if you talk about the way Andrew Wiggins has played and they, they're able to keep him. You add another guy at Patrick Baldwin, he'll come off the bench at like an eighth, ninth man and have time to grow into that role. If he pans out like his talent suggests, that is a massive pickup for the defending champs. Yep, I second that as well. I don't know how he fell to their hands, but they got a dog and they got a guy who can get buckets if he's healthy. Yeah, the Warriors will get the most out of Patrick Baldwin Jr. So if he's going to succeed anywhere, that's, you know, that's going to be the fit for him. Peyton, you mentioned it. A guy I've been on this whole time is Blake Wesley. Him going 25 to the Spurs, I think, is an absolute steal. Um, And the Spurs get Malachi Branham at 22, just two absolute stud scorers that I think, you know, at the very least, one of those guys is going to pan out. Well, don't forget, too, the Spurs also picked – oh, hold on. Was it – I thought they had another – oh, pick number nine. They picked Jeremy Sochan from Baylor. I mean, you're talking about a perfect Greg Popovich-type player, Jeremy Sochan coming from Baylor where defense lives mostly. I mean, the Spurs had a really good draft as well. So, yeah, Peyton, you kind of mentioned it. A guy I've been on this whole draft process, Blake Wesley, is my sleeper at 25 to the Spurs. And uh, they got another great scorer. I think it could be a sleeper as well at 20 with Malachi Branham. Uh, at the very least, one of those two guys pans out as a stud scorer in the NBA. So rounding out the, the draft talk, is there anybody throughout the first or second round that maybe surprised you, either good or bad? I mean J- – Jalen Williams from Santa Clara ending up in the lottery was a little bit surprising. I know that there had been that hype kind of around the draft that he would get that high. I just, I thought it was bullshit. Um, I think he could be a good player, but I was a little surprised to see him go ahead of some of the guys he did. Surprising. Obviously, I think I, I was surprised that Ben Carroll went number one over Jabari Smith. Um, but I wouldn't really call that a surprise because we knew those two guys were going to be the top three no matter what, uh, pretty much since the season started. But I'll tell you what, as far as like player-wise or team-wise or anything like that, the most surprising thing on draft night, I kind of want to segue into this a little bit, is the fact that Coach Cal was not in attendance. Obviously, we know the shade and shop issues, but Ty Ty Washington still got drafted first round. It's definitely surprising that he was not there. And he was in New York because he went to a Yankees game. Oh, I know. And wonders what kind of message it sends, right? Because that's Cal's night. He talks about graduation day. Yeah, it's graduation day for these guys. So it's very odd. And it makes you wonder, makes you wonder what's going on. Um, Is he, I know he was at the Yankees game. It makes you wonder though, if maybe he's just trying to focus. I don't know. That's a good question. We'll we'll have to find out throughout this year. I do want to stick real quick before we move off from the draft talk. A couple of guys in the second round. Kennedy Chandler goes pick number 38. I think the kid, we all thought, we all watched him at Tennessee. He was phenomenal at Tennessee. I'm pretty sure he was on our all-freshman team for the entire nation. He goes 38 to the Spurs, traded from Memphis. Kennedy Chandler is a great player. He could be one of those guys that go to second round that end up having a long NBA career. I know he's smaller in stature, but in the NBA nowadays, it don't really matter a whole lot. But Kennedy Chandler falls away to the second round, pick number 38. How about this for an indictment of why you should not skip college, especially if you have a chance to go to the University of Kentucky? At pick number 37, one ahead of Kennedy Chandler, going to the Sacramento Kings via trade from Dallas, Jaden Hardy. 
Jaden Hardy, my friend, I wish you nothing but the best in the NBA, but that goes to show that going to the G League is not the same kind of exposure as playing on a university like Kentucky, where you're going to have the spotlight on you every night and have a chance to really develop. You got your money from the G League, but now you go second round in the NBA where that's not guaranteed money. You could easily wind back up as a two-way player in the G League for a long time and you screwed your own draft prospects and money-making ability because you took the short-term option. Let this be warning to these guys that for every uh, mellow ball who decides to play overseas or in another option besides college, there's always a Jaden Hardy out there. This kid was projected a couple years ago for this draft class as a top-10 pick. And now he falls to second round. Go to college, fellas. Use your one year. Pick number 34, Jalen Williams from Arkansas goes to the Thunder. He's another kid I thought should have came back because Arkansas is going to be really good again this year. And had he came back with his ability to defend and rebound and hit the mid-range jump shot as big as he is, he could have definitely increased his draft stock. Probably not the best decision, but wish him the best of luck. And the other one, going to pick number 42, to the New York Knicks, Trevor Keels. We talked about it last episode that after that Kentucky game, he looked like a top 10 pick himself. Struggled with some injuries, struggled with, struggled with some inconsistency at Duke, still decided to come out, and now he's in the second round. Again, same situation, not guaranteed money. He's going to have to really fight hard for the spot on a New York Knicks team. Best of luck to Trevor Keels, but – it's not always the best, especially now that you can make money in college. If you have the, unless you're a guaranteed first rounder, you should probably come back to college or in, you know, Jaden Hardy's case, go to college. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, I mean, for every G League Ignite guy that goes in the first round or the top 15 or, you know, whatever you want to, you know, cut it off at, there's usually two or three guys that end up in the second round. And part of it's the explosion. Part of it is just you're playing against grown men. You know, everybody else in the G League is there trying to get to the NBA, trying to make a living, trying to feed their kids. And, and it's a whole different experience than playing in college where, you know, not that guys don't go hard in college, but it, like I said, guys in the end or in the G League are literally trying to feed their families. Yep, I agree. Not everybody can be a Lamella Ball or Jalen Green, so – I agree. Some of these guys should have came back, and some of these guys should have went to college. Jalen Williams, I'm, it's funny you mentioned him because I was literally going to mention him um, about the fact that he probably should have came back uh, for his junior year for Arkansas because if he did, did that, they're already top three without him, in my opinion, at least definitely top five. But if he would have came back for his junior year, no question who the number one team in the nation coming into next year is. Would have been Arkansas. But – yeah, especially a guy like Caleb Houston, too, who went, like, pick number 32 or whatever. He probably could have benefited coming back to another year for Michigan, but he decided to stay in the draft and go second round. So, now, yeah. I will say I will say a guy like Bryce McGowans, even though he ended up being a second-round pick who went, you know, after one year, he probably wouldn't have had a whole lot to gain going back to Nebraska. I think he – you know, there are certain guys like that who – you know, they pretty much showed everything they're going to show in college. And unless he was going to transfer to a better situation, he was going to be in, you know, the second round next year as well. No, that's, that's complete. I'm glad you mentioned that for a comparison. That that's, ex, that's a great point. Um, and you're right about a guy like Bryce McGowan. It just, I think it's a, a credit to these places like Kentucky, Duke, 
Carolina, Kansas, where go to these schools, even if it's proven time and time again, even if you're not completely at your best, a la BJ Boston, you're still going to be a first rounder more than likely. Do just stop thinking about the short-term gains and think about your long-term future. But I know that's easier said than done. Let's segue away from the NBA talk now, and let's round this uh, episode 110 out with some college basketball talk. Peyton, I know you wanted to talk about it real briefly. Uh, We'll cover it more in depth when we start doing our season previews. But the ACC Big Ten Challenge and the Big 12 SEC Challenge games have been revealed, and there's some mighty good ones. The Big Ten ACC one, we've seen Armando Baycott and TJD lobby for it politic for it and we get it that's the headliner of that challenge we have north carolina who could potentially be the number one team in the country in early december going to assembly hall playing an indiana team who i value as a top 10 team i told our buddy johnny stroud that who's an indiana fan i said you will see the absolute best of assembly hall when north carolina rolls into town for that game what a crazy game that's going to be and by the way, Johnny Shroud, if you listen to this, because you probably are, go pack, go, bitch. Yeah, now, go pack, go. Moving on to talking about this game. This is definitely the headliner. This is the one that I was wanting to talk about the most. It, this is a top 10 matchup in my eyes. North Carolina is probably going to be the consensus number one for me, at least. Probably going to get my vote to be number one team coming to next year. In, in the end, it's going to be top 10 good as well. So I think this matchup inside Assembly Hall, listen, I might even try to go to this game. I've never been to Assembly Hall. I might even try to be in attendance for this game to cover it. That's how excited I am for this matchup. Yeah, you know, Peyton mentioned it. North Carolina, I think, is going to be number one on pretty much everybody's board. Um, And and I'll be honest, outside of that matchup, there's not a whole lot of premier matchups. So I don't think I don't think there's anything else that you could nominate for being the number one matchup here. No, we we get a lot of I know. Sorry, Peyton. We get a lot of repeat matchups like Purdue, Florida State. eh, Okay, it'll be physical. It'll be fun. It'll be exciting when we watch it. Duke at Ohio State. Yeah. Eh, nothing really exciting. Phil, your boys, Illinois, who'd they get again? I forgot. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, Syracuse coming to Champaign. Oh, yeah. So if that was in the Carrier Dome, it's a lot more interesting for Illinois. But Illinois has got a top 15, top 20 ball club coming back in. I think Illinois should be able to handle that one. Yeah, I think low-key, one of the better matchups. Um, I'm not sure, you know, if these are two of the better teams at the end of the day, but Michigan State versus Notre Dame in South Bend should be a really just tough matchup. I love the style of play. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I just love the style of play that both those teams play. It should just be, you know, kind of a a gritty game. Hey, I'll go ahead and put our first bank on it for the offseason. That'll be the first one to 60 wins that one. Yeah, I'm with you there. And Louisville plays Maryland. Who gives a shit about that game? That's pretty much a no, no offense to Maryland. It's kind of a boring game. But I was hoping we draw Purdue or Illinois or something like that. We got Maryland. We beat their ass last year in the Bahamas tournament. So we'll do it. Hey, you have to play. Ke- you have to play Kevin Willard though. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, last time we hold up. Last time we played Dan, we beat them. So fuck I'm, you, I'm, Kevin Willard. <laughs> um, second of all, real quick, I just want to clarify something real quick. Um, Phil, when I was talking about never going to Assembly Hall. I was talking about Indiana Assembly Hall, you know, the real one, not the fake one in Illinois. So I just want to clarify <laughs> that real quick. But 
Yeah, Lola versus Marilyn. I mean, no one really gives a shit about that matchup. Uh, Duke, who the fuck do even Duke play? I'm surprised, they don't, I'm, I'm surprised they don't even play Michigan State as much as they match up together. Um, but yeah, a lot of good matchups on the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Obviously, number one is the Carolina versus Indiana. And then spe- oh. Speaking of number one, we've got in the Big 12 SEC Challenge a rematch. Last year, Kentucky goes to Allen Fieldhouse and puts a beating on the Jayhawks. Kansas, we know, went ahead and won the national championship. But now Kansas comes back in the return to Rupp. The top two teams all-time and wins. This will be Kansas's first time ever playing Kentucky as number one all-time. So Kentucky has the, their destiny in their own hands, a chance to pull back and try to tie that up or even potentially take the lead in that game, depending, because that'll be in January. Um, obviously, anytime you put Kansas-Kentucky matchup, this is one of those games that makes it fun doing what we do covering this sport. Yeah, those two could be 0-5 uh, combined, <coughs> and we'll still be excited for it. Fellas, your outlook early as we look at a, a rebuilding Kansas team that should still be good versus a team in Kentucky that is – powered by the reigning defending national player of the year and a team on paper that should be final four good. Yeah. Kansas has a ton of talent coming in via transfer portal and some recruits. Uh, As you mentioned, Kentucky will be preseason top five. I think by the time this matchup happens, you're looking at two top 10, top 15 clubs, you know, rounding into form for the tournament per usual. I don't think uh, either of these teams will be anything less than expected. Revenge. Payback's a bitch sometimes. And even though you whooped our ass last year, we end up winning the national championship. We won the Big 12 Conference regular season and the tournament. We went to the Final Four and won the national championship, and we overtake you, y'all, in all-time wins. Revenge is going to happen. We are going into Rupp to not just beat you. We're going into Rupp to fucking embarrass you to get revenge for what you did to us the year prior in Allen Fieldhouse. That's uh, something nobody ever does. <laughs> Goes into Allen Fieldhouse and walks away to tell the story at the end of it. Nobody does that. It, the it, fact that you did it, go ahead. It, no, we got to shout out our, our member in the Facebook group and Kansas Jayhawk alum, um, Kyle Bauman, almost forgot his name where when the matchup we posted in the Facebook group, he said, man, we might have to like stack three people on top of each other to try to keep Oscar off the board. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I'm probably going to do something. Off off the top of my head, I'm trying to remember some of the other matchups. I know it's a rematch between Tennessee and Texas. That'll be an interesting one as always. Um, Baylor and Arkansas plays. We know how good Arkansas is going to be. I've learned to never doubt Scott Drew. So some fun Big 12 SEC matchups yet again. I can't wait when it's time to really go in depth on those. But, fellas, before we round out episode 110, speaking of programs all time, I found this on Twitter, and I cannot remember. uh, I think it's the CBK Report at – I think that's their Twitter handle on – so go follow them at CBK Report. They've been posting some all-time lists and different things of the likes, and they came out last week with their top 20 college basketball programs of all time. Caused some debate in our Facebook group, but I think it's fairly accurate. We have, I'll just run them down real quick, one through 20, we can debate them. Uh, Kentucky, North Carolina, UCLA, Kansas, Duke, Villanova, UConn, Indiana, Louisville, Michigan State, Syracuse, Arizona, Florida, Arkansas, Michigan, Ohio State, Houston, Illinois, Cincinnati, Maryland are one through 20. Before I give my thoughts on it, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this list as a whole. I think whoever made this list 
uh, did a good job on it. Obviously, they know a lot about college basketball because it's fairly consistent. There is no, as much as I hate saying this as a Louisville fan, there is no argument you can make whatsoever that Kentucky is not the greatest college basketball program of all time. There's, there's legit none. The history speaks for itself. The records speak for itself. So all the Hall of Fame coaches that they had come to the program is ridiculous. They're obviously number one. Number two, though, I think Kansas should be ahead of Carolina and UCLA. I think my top three is Kentucky one, Kansas two, uh, UNC three, and then may, and then probably UCLA four, Duke five. That's probably actually my top five in order right there. Um, but as far as like the rest of the top 10 or the rest of the top 20, I think Villanova may be a little bit too high, just maybe a little bit too high. I don't think they're ahead of like the likes of Indiana um, or anybody like that. So it's surprising that Purdue wasn't on this list, you know, leads the Big Ten in titles and had, I know, no titles, NCAA titles, but they had multiple winning seasons, multiple great teams. That's kind of surprised me a little bit, but I think whoever did this list did a good job on it. Phil, um, I, the only arguments I really had were Kansas definitely should have been had UCLA at three. Um, I'd even put Duke ahead of UCLA. I hear the arguments that some – let's constitute this real briefly. All time, when we're talking all-time programs, that means consistency from decade to decade to decade to decade to decade. UCLA won all their – 10 of their 11 titles in the 60s, early 70s, which is impressive. 80s, some good teams. It's been up and down, and they've had some really, really down years. You look at Kentucky, North Carolina, and Kansas, essentially from the time the 40s were – in 1939 was the first NCAA tournament. From 1939 until present day, yeah, they've had some few bad down years, but consistently decade after decade, they're in Final Fours, winning titles, et cetera, et cetera. The only program that, to me, that could overtake Kentucky potentially in the next five years would be North Carolina unless Kansas rolls off a couple more titles. Because if you look stat for stat, Carolina is right there with Kentucky. Um, I know Kentucky's pulled away a little bit in all-time wins, but Final Fours, National Championships, All-Americans, first-round picks, all the metrics are there. I think the only one close enough to potentially in the next five years to overtake Kentucky in that mantle would be North Carolina. But even then, that's going to have to take Carolina getting a couple more Final Fours, maybe winning another title or two to have that discussion. Phil, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Well, first of all, I agree with you. I don't think UCLA should be ahead of Kansas or Duke. Um, and, and it goes to what you said. There's, If you look outside of that you know, two decades of dominance, we'll say to the 60s and the 70s for the most part, you know, the 80s, there was a couple of years of success. The 90s, a couple of years of success. 2000s, another couple. But they haven't been able to string together any consistent dominance. They have the one title. Uh, I think in 96 or 97, 95, 95, excuse me. Um, But nowhere near the consistency that Duke or Kansas have over the past 30 or 40 years. I mean, Kansas has made the tournament every year since 1988 now, I believe. Yeah. Um, And Duke has missed the tournament twice in that span, essentially, or, you know, since 1985. So there's no way those two teams shouldn't be ahead of UCLA. Um, Obviously, as an Illinois fan, I would love to see them a little higher, but there's not, I have no reason to justify that. I mean, we're lucky to be where we at with our, our uh, two final fours and whatnot. Um, but like Peyton said, I think overall, they did a pretty good job on this. Um, there wasn't anything egregious to me. 
No, and a couple debatable ones. Villanova at six, I understand. You know, they win a title in the 80s. The last 12, 15 years especially, they've been very, very consistently good. But in the 90s, some good teams, you know, Kerry Kittles and them. But eh, when I put them over UConn, I probably wouldn't put them over UConn right now. UConn had, you know, essentially since 1989, they've been pretty damn good. Uh, won four titles in that span. Uh, it, the one, the two that really, you know, if we're talking 20 years ago, they would probably be four and five respectively is Indiana Louisville. They're both eight, nine respectively right now. Don't get me wrong. Historically great, but very inconsistent over the last X number of years. Indiana is the one that had they, I talked to Johnny about this the other day, actually, if Indiana just to pretend Indiana never has those down years, uh, you know, following Kelvin Sampson. If they spend the last decade plus being consistent, making a final four here and there, Indiana is definitely top five. Yep, I second that notion. It's funny because look, I guess we're kind of on the same wavelength here because you just mentioned Indiana's at eight, Wolver nine. This isn't like a me and Coy, like back and forth type deal, like, oh, who's better program of all time or anything like that. Serious, serious question, because I don't have a problem with Indiana being ahead of Louisville because they got two more titles than us, three more titles if you're an uneducated um, or if you're a fan of Mark Emmerich. Serious question, though. All time, who's better, Indiana or Louisville? Indiana. That's fair. I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I would probably go Indiana historically. But honestly, I don't think they're, you know, I think they're both pretty much, yeah, they're both pretty much on the same level. I feel like they're both identical in a lot of ways, to be completely fair. I I really do. And and honestly, both of them hopefully get back to that point because college basketball is better as a whole. Um, The only problem I really have is I don't mind Florida in the top 20, but have them 13th over Arizona – or sorry, Arkansas, Michigan, Ohio State, Houston, Illinois, Cincinnati, and Maryland is disgraceful. They had the two titles back-to-back. You can't take that away from them. And obviously the Billy Donovan era was really good, but guys, they made one final four, which was national championship game. Or sorry, the final four in 1994, or was it 94, 95, 94, I think. But Florida for decades prior to that, and up until Billy Donovan arrived, were bottom feeders of the SEC. And then, so we're basically basing this off of two titles in 20 years. And even after Billy Donovan leaves, they're not that good. Florida, no disrespect, but 13, yeah, if you want to put them 19th or 20th, okay. But 13, completely disrespectful. Yeah, no, I totally agree. There's only, you know, so much respect. Because, again, we're talking all time. I get that they won the back-to-back titles, and that's only been done, you know, a few times and, you know, whatever. But all-time programs, I agree with you. If you're going to put them in the top 10 – or top 20, excuse me, they should be near the back end. Now, um, real quick, I don't have the list right in front of me. Did you mention Georgetown – is Georgetown ranked? They are not. They are not. And I know that caused some debate, but you also got to keep in mind, um, they're essentially were dominant in the 80s, had some good teams in the 90s. And what have they done since? They've made one final four since then, 2007. Absolutely. And I would sort of put them on the same level as, you know, Florida. That's why I was wondering if they had been ranked, because I would consider those two programs kind of the same. I don't want to call them flash in the pans, but, you know, not a super – long series of sustained success how far off well before we end this how far off do you think it is before gonzaga romps into that top 20 
See, I was about to ask that question. What do they got to do to get into that top 20? They got to make surely it. They they gotta, gotta, surely they got to win at least one title. At, at, they got to win a title. At, at bare minimum. Now, well, I don't even think just the title. I think the title for sure puts them ahead of Maryland, which they do have a title. But I think a couple more Final Fours at the bare minimum. If they continue to make Final Fours, it's hard to deny at least a top 20 spot. And I think the reason Purdue's not on there is, yes, the all-time Big Ten leaders, all-time Big Ten champions, phenomenal. But they've not made a Final Four since 1980. And we're talking the national scope. And that's 42 years they have not made a Final Four. That's hard to put them in the top 20. I think they're probably the next team out looking out. If you went 21 through 25, Purdue's probably literally at 21. Yeah, I mean, them or Gonzaga, Gonzaga could make an argument because, like you said, they're they're kind of in a similar boat where they have that, you know, regular season success. They have the conference titles, but they don't necessarily have the huge tournament success. Both teams, you know, aren't aren't eliminated in the first round a whole lot. A lot of Sweet 16 appearances, Elite Eight appearances, but that almost makes it worse. That feels like they choke a lot, which I think kind of, you know, puts them – right outside the conversation of the top all-time programs. Completely. I, I'll give you one more that's probably on the outside looking in that most people wouldn't suspect, and that's West Virginia. You look at the history of West Virginia with Jerry West, Final Fours, all that. I think West Virginia is probably a little closer than what people think. Well, and honestly, I mean, if we're talking all-time, you could make an argument near the bottom of the top, bottom of the top 20 for NC State. You know, one of, the, one of the top programs of the 70s and 80s, they haven't had as much success, obviously, over the past 20 or 30 years. But again, if we're talking Florida really only having two years of great success, NC State does have the two titles. They're at least in the argument. So we are in all agreement, though, that Kentucky is still the number one program of all time. Yeah, no doubt. 100%. Got it. Yeah. I'm not going to call them out, but if you guys check the Facebook page under the, the – the post, uh, somebody's trying to argue UCLA over Kentucky and listed off a screenshot. I said, there's so much that I couldn't even fit in one screenshot of Kentucky's either their first or second all time in AP number ones, AP top tens, AP top 25s, AP top 15s, final fours, national championships, all time wins. They're either one or two in all those categories. Yeah, I don't remember his name at the top of my head. And if I did, I wouldn't name drop him. But yeah, fuck you for that because you made me have to defend Kentucky and say <laughs> something nice about them. So here's to you. Well, and the oh, only team. Bitches. Go ahead, Phil. I was the only team like Josh mentioned that you could even argue would be UNC with all that NBA royalty and the titles and, you know, Dean Smith. But even there, I think they're a distant second to the Wildcats. So we have that out of the way, ladies and gentlemen. We covered your NBA draft. Any last-minute things you guys want to plug or mention before we get out of here? Um, go listen to Phil's podcast. There you go. I got you, Phil. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, check out the uh, Fast Risers podcast. Uh, I'll honestly probably be off for the rest of the offseason because there's not much to do draft-wise, but uh, – we had some good stuff leading up to the draft. Um, appreciate, you know, all you guys' help and support throughout draft season. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, for episode 110, we will be back at you here very soon in the next few days to week with episode 111, where we will finally be covering that 2005 Elite Eight Classic between Illinois and Arizona. Cannot wait for that one. But special thanks to all of our, our great ECB fans. 
we got still got a lot of great stuff coming for you on the off season to celebrate year number five. Don't want to give too much away, but fellas, I am so ready for the college basketball year to start. Why um, we're all, we're, you know, as the months turn and the calendars keep changing, it just gets closer and closer to first tip. And I cannot wait. Thank you guys for listening to episode 110. We'll be back with you, like I said, later in the week with episode 111 with the watch along. Until then, hope you guys have a great rest of your evening. And as always, tune into ECB for all things college basketball. We'll see you next time. Boom. Boom.